0: Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today.
1: The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the individuals participating in the show. And do not represent those of Tenderfoot TV and Resonate Recordings. All individuals described or mentioned in the podcast should be considered innocent until found guilty in a court of law. This podcast contains subject matter such as violence and graphic descriptions, which may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised.
2: There's only two ways she would have pulled over for anyone.
3: Yes.
2: She either A, knew you,
3: or it was an, or her or was an
2: officer. Other than that... She wouldn't have stopped. You have to understand Brittany a little bit. I'm always the kind of person that if I seen you on the side of the road with a flat tire, I'm going to pull over and help you. Brittany would be in the truck. She would say, Dad, you don't know what's going on there. You need to go on.
0: That's because
4: that's me. If it looks like somebody needs help, you got a phone. Report it. Let the officers or someone handle it. Brittany had to have been stopped, and it had to have been somebody she would have known. If it wasn't someone that she knew, it had to have been an officer or somebody with lights that she would have thought was an officer.
1: In the first few years of the investigation into Brittany's murder, authorities and local media updated the public almost religiously. It really was the talk of the town, and it still is now, though coverage has naturally died down over the years. But from 2013 to 2015, Brittany's story was constantly in the news. As you can imagine, coverage over the first year or so was pretty general. First, it was breaking news of the tragedy itself,
0: Someone shot Brittany Stikes and her 14-month-old daughter, Aubrey, right along U.S. 68 in Brown County. The little girl survived. Her pregnant mother did not.
1: Then over time came a slow reveal of what little information authorities could share with the public, which helped form a picture of what
5: happened that fateful August night. The break in the case and the death of Brittany Stikes. The pregnant mom was found shot to death in her Jeep nearly two years ago. Tonight, we're leading the way with what evidence police are moving on.
1: At some point, reward money was offered for information.
6: Crime Stoppers has offered a $5,000 reward for information leading to the killer, and we hope that generates some further information.
1: The public was even kept up to speed on Aubrey's health as she went through multiple surgeries, recovering from a gunshot wound to her
0: head. Little Aubrey Stikes continues to receive treatment at Children's Hospital.
3: 15-month-old Aubrey is back here at Children's Hospital tonight. Her grandparents tell me she'll undergo yet another surgery on Monday to continue and to try and relieve pressure on her brain. Meanwhile, investigators in Brown County... spent
1: But eventually, the narrative started to switch. As pressure to solve the case mounted, the media became more focused on persons of interest. A lot of suspicion started to build around Brittany's husband, Shane. That is, until his name was cleared in the media. But then came mentions of additional persons of interest. The three men who Shane named in his interview at the sheriff's office the night of the murder. His neighbor, Jerry Seidner, a man named Donald Chamberlain, who he'd had two altercations with, and lastly, Brittany's ex, Dusty Puckett Jr. Their names were listed in the police narrative we obtained but when it came to persons of interest, the sheriff's office was careful to not release any names publicly. They did, however, make sure the public was kept up to speed on any progress made in the case. In February of 2014, six months after the murder, the Cincinnati Inquirer reported that then Brown County Chief Deputy John Shadle said, we've got a group of people we're looking at, nothing substantial yet. According to Shadle, eight to 12 people gave statements about the shooting And investigators were not able to rule them out as suspects. He went on to say, It's not what you think or what you know, it's what you can prove. And we're not there yet. A little over a year later, in May of 2015, WLWT reported that new evidence had been discovered. Then Brown County Sergeant Buddy Moore called it a break in the case, saying, We received some information last week, electronic evidence, that we believe will strongly give us a person of interest. We believe once we locate this person and talk to them, that could possibly lead us to other individuals involved. And just a few months later, in August of 2015, WLWT reported that investigators had identified the killer. Then-Brown County Chief Deputy Carl Smith said, We do have a person of interest we're looking at very strongly. There's still a lot of investigation with this case, a lot of T's to cross, I's to dot but if it holds together the way it's going right now, I'm confident we're going to submit it to the grand jury. According to an article from WLWT, investigators said the latest tips came from Kentucky. The informants told deputies the killer was owed money and came to Brown County looking for retribution. And for the first time, it felt like people were not only getting an identity, but a motive as well. To the public, it all seemed very promising. But Brittany's parents, Mary and Dave, didn't see it that way. They were already jaded from the roller coaster ride they'd been on for the past two years. Mary told WLWT, quote, it's hard to get your hopes up. The truth will come out, but it's going to be in God's time, not ours, not the Brown County Sheriff's Department's time. Dave added, I'm not getting my hopes up. I've heard this before. They've got all this evidence. Then it seems to go nowhere. Though, contrary to what Dave said, this lead did seem to be going somewhere big break now
0: in the murder of a local pregnant mother deputies now have a suspect and evidence they say proves Brittany Stikes was killed by a hitman WLWT news has Curtis Fuller in Brown County Forest tonight with this developing story
5: we are learning shocking new details about Tommy Lopez Michael Baldwin is live in Fort Mitchell with his potential connection to several other deaths
1: In a turn of events, just one month after the announcement of a person of interest and their motive for killing, the public was given a name, Tommy Lopez. Brittany's husband, Shane, was shocked at the announcement. Here's what he had to say about the unexpected news when he sat down with us for this podcast.
7: I don't even know where this dude came from. They're asking me if I know this guy, this guy, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I don't know the person from Adam. You know, long story short... They proceed into telling me this is the dude that killed my family. That puts me on the emotional roller coaster. Now I have a face to look at, and I'm told that this person murdered my family. Okay, so of course, guys, let's be real. I'm sitting there thinking I will kill this piece of shit, you know?
1: So you believed it.
7: I did. I did believe it. Because eventually it was portrayed to me that this Tommy Lopez dude was a hire. And that would explain why I didn't know him. And it tied back to my original story.
1: To clarify, he's talking about his theory that the murder was a message for him.
7: Maybe this is real, you know, and I I was stoked, mad. You know, I was all of it because I'm like, okay somebody's gonna pay, you know? And then, they're like, he's in jail in Kentucky right now. We're gonna let that go. He's got plenty of time down there. We're gonna build our case.
1: The news of Lopez and his potential connection to Brittany's murder came September 25th, 2015, nearly two years to the day after her murder. Based on newly released documents at the time that we requested but have been unable to obtain, Fox 19 now reported that a female witness claiming to be Tommy Lopez's girlfriend had come forward with information after Lopez was taken into custody on drug-related charges. She allegedly told law enforcement that Lopez received two payments of $10,000 from another individual to murder a female in Brown County, Ohio, who she referred to as Britt. She claimed that her death was payback for money that was owed. In summary, The witness stated she was driving with Lopez in a white automobile the evening of the murder when they spotted Brittany at a gas station driving in a yellow Jeep. They followed her for some 25 minutes until Lopez pulled out a mock police light and plugged it into the vehicle's cigarette lighter. Brittany pulled over to the side of the highway. Once the Jeep had come to a stop, the witness told detectives that Lopez walked up to the yellow Jeep and fired several shots. The witness stated that she had looked through the window and saw the woman, and she was bloody. It was reported that sometime in July, about two months before this news broke, that a search warrant was executed by the Kentucky State Police and the Owen County Sheriff's Office at Hudnall's Garage and Wrecker Service. Authorities were specifically looking at a white 2005 GMC van that was registered under Tommy Lopez. In an interview with police, Lopez denied any knowledge of Brittany's murder and claimed he didn't even know where Brown County was located. At the time, no charges were brought forth in connection with Brittany's murder, but he was to serve time for drug-related charges. As if this wasn't already shocking enough, Fox 19 reported additional information indicating Lopez may have been involved in multiple other murders. Expanding on the witness's account per the affidavit, it was reported that Lopez and another man were responsible for the murder of 18-year-old Michaela Breedy, who was killed during a home invasion in northern Kentucky. The witness said Lopez buried the handgun that was used in the murder. She also spoke about a murder that happened in Crittenden, Kentucky, where she waited outside for Lopez and eventually heard four gunshots. She went on to say that Lopez used a wood chipper to dispose of the body. And lastly, in October or November of 2014, the witness said Lopez killed a man named Sean who he believed was responsible for his girlfriend's drug overdose. Lopez allegedly buried his body in a cemetery. At this point, things were not looking good for Tommy Lopez. Not only had he been accused of murdering Brittany, he'd been accused of murdering multiple people. In September of 2015, authorities executed a search warrant on Tommy Lopez's property in Falmouth, Kentucky, which was also detailed in the affidavit. A long list of items were confiscated from the home, And it was also noted that the home represented property that could have been used in a crime. Brittany's father, Dave, said he'd actually heard about the search warrants before they were executed.
2: The night before, I get a phone call, and it's from Shane. And he says, what do you think about the search warrants they're going to do in the morning? And I go, I have no clue what you're talking about. None whatsoever. Don't know what you're talking about, and we'll just leave it there. And I get off the the phone with him, and I said to Mary, I says, how would he know this? If you're issuing a search warrant for in the morning, nobody should know about it because if he knows about it, if he would have something to do with these people, they've got time to get rid of whatever they need to because they've got all night long. So the sheriffs show up down there, all of them show up. The news reporters are there. They're filming them driving in. I said, if they found this out, you think the people there couldn't have found it out?
1: As a culpable listener, you know the world can be a dangerous and unpredictable place. One thing I've learned working in true crime is that your best line of defense is vigilance and preparation, which is why I recommend Simply Safe Home Security. I happen to live in a pretty nice neighborhood. But as you know, crime has a way of being anywhere at any time, even when you least expect it. When our car was broken into and items were stolen, I was so relieved to know that my home security system got the footage. And it eventually led to us being reimbursed by the perpetrator once they were caught. Crime is just waiting to happen. So be prepared at all times and equip yourself with Simply Safe. The best home security system of 2024, according to U.S. News and World Report, Simply Safe has given me and many of my listeners real peace of mind, and I want you to have it too. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com/culpable. That's simplysafe.com/culpable. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Though Dave expressed some frustration over the handling of the search warrant, it didn't actually matter all that much to him in the grand scheme of things because Dave never believed Tommy Lopez was the killer. His doubt started almost immediately when he heard about the witness's testimony.
4: Her boyfriend had been in some trouble.
1: And when they first issued the warrants, Buddy called me that afternoon. Sergeant Buddy Moore with the Brown County Sheriff's Office was the lead investigator at the time. And I said, buddy, I've got a couple questions for you. And he says, all right, what's,
2: what's your questions? I said, A, what's she in jail for? And if you can't tell me, that's fine. I said, my second question is this, what's she asking for? He says, what do you mean? I said, when you've got an inmate that's in jail and they're willing to volunteer information, A, they either want charges dropped against them or B, they want a plea bargain somewhere to get out early, something. There's always cards on the table that they're asking for. I said, so you, all you're doing right now is wasting time. If she's not asking for nothing. She don't know nothing. And she don't know nothing. And I said, everything that you've told me she's give you, go back to the newspaper
1: two weeks prior to that,
2: and, and it's, it's been all in, in it.
1: Dave and Mary say that nearly every detail in the witness's account was information that the media had publicized, comments that either they made or authorities made over the first couple years of the investigation. So they dismissed the idea that Tommy Lopez could have been involved in Brittany's murder. Authorities, on the other hand, were not seeing it that way. They still felt they had their guy and they planned to build their case around him. But with all their intel now made public, courtesy of the affidavits obtained by the local media, it was going to be an uphill battle. When then-Chief Deputy Carl Smith with the Brown County Sheriff's Office spoke with WLWT, he expressed some frustration, saying, quote, This is not in any way, shape, or form how we wanted to have this information released. In other words, they wanted all this information to remain confidential. They knew the release of it would in no way help their case against Tommy Lopez. All the authorities could do now was press on and hope their case wasn't too compromised as a result. Chief Deputy Carl Smith said the goal was to present it to a grand jury. He said there was more work to do, but expressed confidence in the direction they were headed, even saying, quote, we should be able to get an indictment. And to his point, things continued moving in that direction. WLWT reported that on November 13, 2015, a fact-finding grand jury convened in the prosecutor's office. They called witnesses but it was reported that the witnesses either did not return phone calls or were uncooperative. There were allegedly three people who were summoned, and two of the three showed. The only one we know of is a woman by the name of Samantha Grubbs, who shared a child with Shane Stikes before he and Brittany married. After her testimony, Grubbs spoke with the media where she made mixed comments about Brittany. She told a reporter with Local 12 News that Brittany was a loving person and said she couldn't ask for a better stepmother for her son. But she made some questionable comments too, ones which Dave and Mary had to hear, that implied their daughter Brittany might have been involved with the wrong group of people.
2: If you go back and you pull Brittany's life up, you will find out if she was not at work, she was here. here.
4: We're not exaggerating, That's that's how it went. When I got interviewed after all of that, I said, well, the only crowd Brittany got with was Shane and his mother. That was the only thing new in Brittany's life, and everybody knows that.
1: Now, I will say, Shane's ex being summoned in this case is rather interesting. Again, to the best of our knowledge, the grand jury was to deliberate over Tommy Lopez's involvement, not Shane Stikes. So I'm not really sure why she would have been called to testify. Shane didn't seem to know anything about the grand jury proceedings. We've been unable to reach Samantha directly, and all documents related to the grand jury are sealed. Unfortunately, all we know is what was reported back in 2015. But it's our understanding that shortly after this, the grand jury landed on a no-bill, meaning no indictment for Tommy Lopez. He was released on his drug charges from Kentucky the day after Christmas of 2015. But to be clear, Lopez has never been charged for any of the murders his supposed girlfriend accused him of. A month later, in January of 2016, The News Democrat reported on the abrupt ending of the grand jury. Assistant Prosecutor Zach Corbin was able to provide some context, stating that Lopez had not yet been cleared as a person of interest, but a grand jury does them no good if they can't prove their case beyond a reasonable doubt. Corbin said, quote, We are actively investigating every single day to bring someone to justice in this case. There is no case at this point that I would love to see solved more than this one, and we work hard every day to do that. I hope 2016 will bring us an indictment and a conviction, but I can't say or put a timeline on it. Well, you can assume 2016 did not bring an indictment or a conviction. And now, many years later, still no indictment. If you remember, Shane said back at the beginning of all this, the Brown County Sheriff's Office expressed confidence as to where things were headed. So it's safe to say he's not happy with how things have played out. They said, we got nine
7: months. We're going to build this case. We're going to wrap it up solid. We're going to hammer him. I'm like, okay, let's do this. Like five or six days later, I see that this dude's released from jail. I never even got a phone call. So there's a hit man. It was hired initially to come at me and he's out of jail and you don't think that I need to know this? You know, I got a kids. I mean, you don't think I need to know, you know? So I call up
1: there. I'm I'm so fuming, pissed off. He didn't give us the name of the person he spoke with, only referring to him as this dude. But he said he specifically asked to speak into, with him.
7: You know, I'm like, I'd like to know how you think. I don't deserve to know. And he said, Mr. Stikes, we don't have to tell you shit. And hung up on me. And I was... I was about to have a meltdown because I'm still thinking this is the dude who killed my family. Now he's free and the cops just hung up on me and told me they don't have to tell me shit. I couldn't even grasp what was happening. You know what I'm saying? It didn't make any sense to me.
0: Ready to start talking
3: to your kids about financial literacy?
1: To this day, Shane doesn't really know what to make of the whole Tommy Lopez connection. He claims he doesn't know the man, and we know that Tommy Lopez was not one of the names Shane gave to authorities the night of the murder. We also know that Shane's theory about the murder would have to involve a personal connection at least to some degree. Remember, he believes he knows who did it and why they did it. He thinks it was to send a message to him. So knowing all of this, we had to ask if there's any way Tommy Lopez could tie into this.
7: Now, did he have any connection to the person you think... I don't know anything about this dude's personal life except for one thing, and it's not like I'm the only person in the world that knew this. Everyone knew this, okay? So that's all I got to say about that.
3: Is that person still out there? Yeah. In Brown County?
7: Uh, That I can't confirm. I don't know.
1: But... Yeah, yeah, it is a local, for sure. In other words, Shane doesn't know how Tommy would tie into Brittany's murder, but he doesn't count out that he could be linked. The thing is, the person Shane suspects is a local of sorts. Tommy Lopez is not a local. Without knowing the credibility of the witness's account that started all of this, it's nearly impossible to credit or discredit it. Not even the Brown County Sheriff's Office could do that for us. Our main contacts there, Captain Chad Noble and Sergeant Quinn Carlson, both came into this case after it had happened, and neither of them appear to have much information related to Lopez and the grand jury, at least not that they're willing to share with us. But Noble said he did look into Lopez himself when he took over Brittany's case in 2017.
4: The Tommy Lopez part of the investigation had ended when I came in, The Tommy Lopez angle is one that I didn't feel like I had enough closure on, so I had went back to that, and I began investigating that again, too, and gathering information from alleged witnesses, alleged suspects, and just acquiring all the information that I could regarding each and every aspect of this case. But yeah, I I looked at that again. I'm evidence-driven. There's stuff about... What happened that we know that we haven't released to the public? And so there's certain questions at times that we'll ask to gauge the legitimacy of somebody's statement. And so, like, if you don't answer certain questions right, then I know in my mind, like, okay, this probably didn't happen. This did happen. So you got to really tear apart every individual person that becomes a person of interest in this case. And it's a long process. It really is.
1: Seeing as how evidence against Tommy Lopez went all the way to a grand jury, I think it's safe to say that Lopez is one of those persons of interest that Noble is referring to. You have to imagine investigators went through a process of trying to validate the informant's account as they worked to build their case around him. But in the end, it turned into nothing. We asked Chad if he knew any specific reason behind the no-bill, and whether or not it made him question their work in any way.
4: The investigators that came before me did an incredible job on what they were working on. An investigator, if we have like a certain pathway that we think something happened, that pathway is fully investigated and run all the way to the end, you know. And so like I didn't have to go behind them and evaluate their work. That's not at all what I'm saying. What I'm saying is like. If they investigated Tommy Lopez, did they look at, was this a possibility? And so I would look at you know him from different angles than maybe they did. I never want to say positively that somebody didn't do it. You know what I mean? Like if there's another way or option to look at somebody, you know, somebody's name was brought up for a reason. Why was it brought up? Somebody felt strongly about this person. Have we examined every possible avenue of how they could have been involved in this? You know, I just felt like I needed to do that. And I think, you know, every investigator, new investigator that comes on, Sergeant Carlson, I'm sure, has looked at everything that I did. And, you know, he might see something from a different angle. I love the fact that so many different people with different personalities and different ways of investigating have worked on this.
1: We did speak with Sergeant Carlson about Tommy Lopez, though it was all off the record. He seemed reluctant to talk about Tommy, his reason being that it was well before he took over the case and Captain Noble obviously didn't have a lot to share. But still, we had to ask. Because despite the no-bill, despite what the Dodsons think about Lopez, this isn't something that can just be dismissed. This lead looked very promising at one point in time. Authorities even implied that an indictment was only a matter of time. So what happened? We believe there's a lot more to this story. Unfortunately, we've been given the runaround and have not been able to access the files that could begin to shed light on it. Until we know exactly how and why this leak came to such an abrupt end, we're going to keep digging. And we were already given a good place to start. We actually heard a rumor about an inmate at the Chillicothe Correctional Institution. A man by the name of Nick Wolke.
5: Hello.
3: This is a prepaid debit call from... Nick. An inmate at the Chillicothe Correctional Institution. To accept this call, press zero.
1: Surprisingly, it was Dave, a Tommy Lopez denier, who told us about Nick. They were actually friends way back in the day, but Nick was arrested in 2008 and sentenced to 30 years to life for shooting and killing his girlfriend and her 21-year-old son. When Nick got a hold of Dave, it wasn't to play catch-up. It was to give him information about Tommy Lopez and his potential involvement in Brittany's murder. Curious of what all he knows, our producer Jessica gave him a ring.
3: This call is from a correction facility and is subject to monitoring and recording. Thank you for using GTL.
6: Uh, yes, Jessica?
3: Yes, this is Jessica.
6: This is Mr. Walkie. You emailed me about Brittany Skype's case.
3: Yes, I did.
6: Okay. All I can tell you about that is inmate.com, and I'm sure you done got the guy's name and I heard it from. No, actually,
3: I didn't. Who, can you tell me his name?
6: Okay, Billy Hackworth.
3: Billy Hackworth, is he also located in Chillicothe?
6: Yeah, he's right here with me.
1: Unfortunately, Nick is working off second-hand information. To get a first-hand account, we need to speak with another inmate named Billy Hackworth, who Nick heard the story from. But Jessica went ahead and asked what all he'd heard from Billy.
6: But he was telling me Tommy Lopez. He said he came to his house as soon as that happened and told him all about it. Said said he just killed someone and was letting him know about it. And he told me Tommy Lopez usually drove a pickup truck, but that day he was in a little, like a smoke gray, Toyota or something. He said he wasn't for sure what kind of car it was, but he said that day he was in a little old smoke gray car, like gun smoke gray or something.
3: Do you have any idea from talking to him what Tommy's connection to Shane or Brittany would be?
6: Well, he ain't really said he ain't really said much about Brittany's husband. I don't know if he talked to him, but. He used to deal with another guy up around Sardinia area that had a junkyard that's real well-known, too, for a bunch of guns and weapons. I forget his name, but Tommy used to deal with him, too.
7: I
1: can't
6: remember his
1: name off that. So, really, the only thing he knows is what he heard directly from fellow inmate Billy Hackworth, that being a supposed confession that Lopez made to him right after the murder, a murder which, again... Lopez has never been charged with. This was about the extent of Nick's knowledge. If we wanted anything else, we need to go get that first-hand account.
3: I'm sorry. Could you say the the gentleman's name again? Who is in there? that
6: Billy Hackworth. A,
3: Billy Hackworth. And, he, and you From, think
6: around Marry's town.
3: Okay. And you think he would he would tell us what he was told?
6: No, he ain't gonna tell you nothing.
1: Okay. Well, that hurts. But who knows? Maybe he's wrong about that. All we can do is try and get a hold of the guy. After all, Nick tells us that Billy has given his story to the police.
6: They done question him. They done come talk to him, got him out of jail and talked to him and stuff.
3: Oh, the police did?
6: Yeah, that's how I knowed all about it. I think he was trying to snitch on the guy to try to get some sentence reduction.
3: Oh, I gotcha. Well, I appreciate you you giving me a call. I mean, if he ever is willing to talk, you have my information.
1: We're going to keep investigating all persons of interest that we've covered so far. We know there's still a lot we're missing. And there's reports we've requested that could give us some vital information. So stay tuned on that. For now, there's still one very important piece to this story that we haven't gone over yet. I'm talking about the crime scene. And what the physical evidence in this case points to.
7: They try to tell me that a bullet passed through my wife and then through her head. And I don't believe a single word of that. Because when Aubrey got shot in the head, it went in right above her eyes, and the bullet went right in the center of the passenger side windshield. So if that bullet went through her and my daughter is sitting in a seat like this facing the back of the Jeep, how does that bullet go here and then turn left and go into the middle of my windshield? It makes it seem like it was done intentionally to her, but I don't see how they could have done that from pacing alongside of her unless they stopped at some point. You look at it from a cop's point of view, I mean, there's spent bullets, there's no casings, no fingerprints, no DNA, what can you do?
1: Culpable is a production of Resonate Recordings and Tenderfoot TV in conjunction with Cadence 13, written and hosted by me, Dennis Cooper, and produced by Jessica Knoll. Executive producers are myself, Mark Minnery, Jacob Bozarth, Donald Albright, and Payne Lindsay. Our senior producer is John Street. Additional production by Todd McComas. Sources used in this episode include the Cincinnati Enquirer, WLWT, Fox 19, Local 12, and the News Democrat. Editing, mixing, mastering, and sound design by Dayton Cole, Pat Kicklighter, Adam Townsell, and Caleb Melcher of the Resonate Recordings team. If you have a podcast or are looking to start one, check us out at ResonateRecordings.com. Our theme song and original score is by Dirt Poor Robbins, with additional scoring by Dayton Cole. Our cover art is by Drew Bardana. You can follow us on social media at Culpable Podcasts. Show notes, as well as bonus content can be found on our website, culpablepodcasts.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please take time to subscribe, rate, and review. Your feedback is greatly appreciated. And lastly, if you have any information about the murder of Brittany Stikes, we urge you to contact the Brown County Sheriff's Office by visiting their website, Brown County, Ohio Sheriff.us, where you can anonymously submit your information. Or you can contact Sergeant Quinn Carlson directly at 937 378 4435, extension 126, or by email at Quinn Carlson at bcoso.com. You can also submit your information through our website, culpablepodcast.com. Thank you for listening.